the invitation. I'm so glad. Surprisingly, this is my first time to ever be in a United Fellowship. Yet, you are all familiar. <laughs> I think in the Christian Union, the faces of United members are the most familiar faces I know because we have done countless missions. Oh, they're not countless, but there are many missions together. And I've been glad to join you in your missions, and I'm so glad. Any first years around? Thank you, first years, for joining NIRET. I mean, you're so many nowadays. There, there was a time NIRET had zero members. If, you, if your forefather, your forefather, Tom Obogo, was here, he would, he would tell you it's actually true. There was a time NIRET had very few people, but this is evidence of progress. Your numbers are evidence of God's faithfulness. Can we appreciate God for that? Yeah, and I'm glad. I came in the company of a few friends, few great friends of mine. If you were there, you just rise. I would want, us, I would want the congregation to appreciate you once again. Please rise. Wherever you are, just rise. Yeah, thank you. You may have a seat. I, I am very sure um, most of them know you. Uh, but just to save on time, let me just move directly into the sermon. I'm so glad today we are talking about more like him, being more like Christ. And um, this topic is, is, uh, is, is a simple topic by the virtue that it's something that, that is basically what we do every day. That is basically who we are. We are Christian. We are Christian because we are Christ-like, right? And uh, aren't we? We are Christians because we are Christ-like. So this topic is more, is, is more about reminding us about our Christianhood and uh, the call that we are being given to uh, adhere to that. And we are having co- this conversation because there is need, number one, there is need to, to, be like, to be like Christ, and number two, because it's a command. And so our text is from Romans chapter 8, verses 29, and I want us to read and my version here says, Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That is the working text for today. And, <coughs> sorry, I have a, I have a, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be having a bit of challenges with speech, but that is going to be okay. So it's just, the text is talking about being like Christ, being conformed to the image of his son, the son of God who is Christ. And what does it mean, basically, to be like someone? What do you think it means to be like someone? I know this, you know, you are internet, you know what it means to be like. To be like someone is simply to adopt the attributes of, of that person, to be like something, adopting the attributes of that person. So, for example... I know we have all had instances where we've been like other people, right? And daily people are being shaped by um, the things they see, and so they become like them. They adopt those attributes. They become like, like um, certain people. For example, a good example that would resonate with all of us, or at least this generation, is um, some influencers on the social media. Um, there are people who become like influencers, right? Right? Yeah. Yes, for example, talk of a person like uh, 
I'm not certain that is the best example to use in this context, but someone like Andrew Kibbe, you know Andrew Kibbe? Oh, I have seen so many Andrew Kibbe since I, I knew Andrew Kibbe. I didn't know that they behave like that because they know Andrew Kibbe. And then I discovered, oh, there is that guy and my friend. There are so many people that have become like him because he influences people, right? There are many ladies, ladies who listen to other ladies, eh? feminists. And um, the next time you meet with them, they tell you a, a very specific lie. That one I had. And you can see it in their behavior. You can see it in the way they respond to things. You can see it in the way in their ambitions. You can see it in everything, right? Because they become like them. That is what we mean. It's very practical, becoming like someone. Or, or maybe your attitudes to certain things. Like myself, I have a bad attitude towards cabbage. I don't like, oh, we are together in this. That makes two of us. I mean, uh, growing up, my mother didn't like cabbage. She used to tell me, these videos in a actually she used to tell me they have no nutritional benefit I don't think that is true but I grew up knowing that to the point that even now I don't really like cabbage you bring me cabbage, oh that's a bad day <laughs> but it's because I have become like her because she has in a way made me possess that, that, that characteristic I have adopted her attribute and so I have become like her or talk of preachers. There are preachers in, in this age. There are people who preach like certain preachers. There are people who behave like certain preachers, right? Whether it's because they have been constantly exposed to them, and sometimes it's, it's subconsciously or sometimes consciously, they have been exposed to them, and when we are exposed to people who wield a lot of influence on us, most often, especially people we admire a lot, we end up adopting their character, right? If you, you, oh, that's not a good example. I wanted to say if you are in the office somewhere and your boss behaves in a certain manner and you really want to be a boss one day, like them, that person, you'd better behave like them so that at least you see whether, whether that goes well into improving your skills and all that. So people have, who have considerable amount of influence over us make us become like, like, um, like them. So to be like Christ, what is to be like Christ? After talking all about what being like other people is, what about being like Christ? Number, um, there are two ways, or there are many ways rather, that, or rather many explanations that would um, explain the ultimate plan of God with regards to being like Christ. And I will only give two for now. The number one, the number one is the physical transformation. The physical transformation is in the sense is in the sense of the physical world, where in our physical world we are transformed and we, um, when we are born again, we are transformed to possess the attributes that Christ possesses or Jesus possesses. And the other one is eternal transformation. You can find this in First John chapter 3, verse 2. Um, the Bible talks of our bodies being glorified. I think it would be justice that we read that. First John chapter 3 and verses 2. We have digital Bibles today, so it becomes so easy. I don't flip pages. First John. Some people don't like this, but you know, my, this is my Bible. The, the, the Word of God said, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed that we shall be. Thank you. 
um, and it has not yet been revealed what shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So when he is revealed, when he comes back again, we shall be like him. That means that our bodies we assume or we be glorified. And there are so many illustrations in the word of God of how we will no longer possess these bodies, but we will possess glorified bodies. And that is the physical transformation. So, the, the, the eternal transformation rather. So, there are, many, there are many things that God has predestined us, those who are of the folk, in, in regards to the transformation that we are talking about. But those two are the ones that are quite clear in this particular text. And for today, we are going to focus more, or we are going to focus um, particularly on the second, on the first one, which is the physical transformation. And I would want us to go through some um, things that would call us into um, copying or emulating Christ. We know, or the approach I took to this, we know that Christ is our model, our perfect model, whom we are supposed to mod, we are supposed to emulate in every way, right? And so, we are going to see some of these core or fundamental attributes that kind of overarch over every other thing that we'd look into and then get to see how we can emulate Christ in that and why we should. And number one is emulating Christ in, in, in his service. And we would read the text John, um, or we would not really read, John chapter 13, which talks of Jesus Christ. You know the story in John chapter 13. <coughs> the Son of God. Christ, fully God. Man incarnate, God incarnate here on earth. Someone who was supposed to be revered and worshipped. One, one with divine ability to raise the dead, to create life. For we know that nothing was created apart from him from the beginning, right? One who created the universe itself as you see it today. In John chapter 13, surprisingly, he washes his disciples' feet. Isn't that surprising? I mean, he washes his disciples' feet. He tells them, he tells them like, you know, guys, come here. I need to do something. So he goes right ahead. He goes and washes their feet. That is something that slaves did. And he did not do it in a flamboyant way. He just did, he just did it just as a slave would do. Took a towel and a bowl and he washed their feet. I don't know whether you, um, you, 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 you could practically imagine that. Have some imagery in your head. And see that in practice today. Imagine your pastor washing your feet. Actually washing your feet. Not just saying that... Um, that, that, that Jesus washed people's feet, actually washing your feet, and washing the feet of the disciples, which was something that was done by the slaves to their servant, to their, to their, or rather, to their masters, was something epic, because he was trying to teach the disciples a lesson. He was trying to show them. Remember, when he's doing this, he's not too far from departing from this word, right? And he's training them the act of service, serving one another. And he actually goes on uh, to tell them that they should not be, they should not lord over their, uh, those whom they serve, but they should serve, that the least, that the greatest among them should be the least. 
serving others. I'm calling us to emulate Christ in his service. I am calling us to emulate Christ. And he has demonstrated that to us. So, how can we serve? How can we serve one another? I know we've been, practically, we have been in leadership positions. We have been in, um, well, at home, in different places. The question is, how can we serve one another? Have you, are there traces of service in your life or in my life as a Christian? Are there traces of serving one another or are there just traces of um, um, just being lording over people and, and showing that you are the master and all that? Because when we serve one, one, when we serve one another, when we serve others, when we see others and um, we are pulled to serve the Lord in humility, then we are, something happens in our hearts. We are crushed before the Lord and that teaches us to be humble. It teaches us to be humble, really humble. And that is something that Christ also possesses. Praise the name of the Lord. Oh, yes. So I've been challenging myself over time. And I've been asking myself, or rather I've, I've, I've tried to make it a discipline to be asking myself every week. I've prayed terribly, but I would call us to probably consider that. At, that, at every beginning of the week, ask yourself, Lord, how can I serve your people this week. Lord, how can I serve your people this week? You ask yourself that question so that you begin to be intentional in serving others. You begin to plan to actually serve others as service to God. You're not serving them because you want them to see you as a nice person, this humble person who will do anything to, would move mountains to get things going for you. You're not serving them so that, or serving your friends so that they get to see you as this um, selfless friend that they have. But you're doing it because it has, or rather, it, or rather Christ does the same and we are called to do the same. And we are called to emulate him in every way, to serve others. That includes in church, in whatever context, in positions of leadership, serving others. The second thing is, in his mission. Let's read John chapter 20, verses 21. John chapter 20, verses 21. The word of God says, again Jesus said, well, I was looking for a different version, but... Um, it's all right. Let, let me just use this one. Again, Jesus said, <coughs> Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Another version that I love would say that as I came into this world, I am also sending you to the world to preach. And that's essentially what Christ did. He commissioned his disciples and he told them, I came into this world. And therefore, you must also go into the world and preach. And preach. Think of Christ. Think of Christ. Christ, this Holy One. Very righteous. He came down to the world, our world, full of iniquity. A righteous and just um, king, descendant unto us. In an overwhelmingly wicked world. 
Oh, you think wickedness has started today? You think wickedness started today? Well, you might think that this world has begun to evolve. Well, you need to take a second thought on that because it has always been very evil. In the days of, we are talking about, we are having the conversation about gayism and lesbianism and, and all these transgender things that are just, um, they're just, just off. But they were there from the beginning. They were always there. Think of how God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of the same sins that we are talking about today. The devil has always been the same. And so the wickedness that we might probably think is at a very high degree today has always existed. I read of a man called, uh, an emperor called Caligula. What he used to do, he used, he used, to, he used to have acts of pornography around him. He would watch it. And probably some of us think that is an invention that has just happened recent, in recent years. But all these wicked things were there from, from time immemorial. But yet, even though there was such wickedness, Christ offered himself and came into such a wicked world. And his mission was one, to reach out to us, the lost, and to, to deliver us from the rightful wrath that awaited us. He sought his disciples. We've read about his disciples and how he, he appointed them. He sought them one by one. One by one. And he's in the business of, sorting, of seeking us one by one every single day. And he sought them. He sought them. So like we, we, we went running to him or they went running to him. Men don't do that naturally. He sought them. And once he had sorted them and he, he had them and he had preached to them and he had trained them and he had multiplied them. He now tells them in John 20, 21, that now peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He sent them to go to the rest of the world and preach in his name. Therefore, we must go daily into people's words with Christ's mission in our heart. Praise the name of the living God. Amen. We must go into the world with Christ's mission in our heart, which is to evangelize, to reach, to look out to those who are lost and evangelize to them. Praise the name of the Lord. How can we, how can we participate in this mission of Christ? We have been doing missions. Do we have to wait for an organized mission by night? Do we? We don't. We don't need to wait until next semester when we have organized a mission. Mission work should be our daily life affair. Every single individual you are meeting, you are evangelizing to them. You are talking to them about Christ. Because that is what Christ commissioned us to do. He did not tell them. You see, he would have done it very um, outrightly and told them, you know, I'm sending you into the world. You have to be planning missions. You have to be having periods in your life where you'll be going to reach out to others. You're going to do this mission. But he tells them, I'm sending you out into the world to go and preach. We are self-organizing here how we can make that happen. But essentially, the, back, the, 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 the point is we have to do it on a daily basis. There's a time we used to do something we called one-for-one one initiative. One-for-one one initiative. What, what we used to do is, for every single individual in 
um, in, in a team, or let's say in the scene, let's say he actually in the scene, they would be charged to identify a friend that is not born again. A friend. Probably a classmate at home, a friend from whatever place, and they would be charged and, and there, there would be accountability. They would be charged to go and evangelize to them. Walk a journey with them. A journey of evangelism. A journey of evangelism. So you are creating a relationship with that friend and daily you are walking them through and you are preaching Christ to them. And I thought that was interesting. And that is the business we are in. Daily evangelizing Christ. Daily going into other people's worlds. Going into other people's worlds and preaching Christ to them. My sermon is rather short today. I'm almost finishing. The third thing, and something I think is so core to, to this whole issue of becoming like Christ is love, in his love. Becoming like Christ in his love. I would take us to Ephesians chapter 2, verses, chapter 5 and verses 2. The word of God says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, Christ did not consider his equality with God something to be grasped, something to, be, something to, 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 to hold him back from doing whatever he needed to do to save mankind. He gave himself up willingly. Willingly gave himself up to be sacrificed, to be slain, to be tortured. To be tortured for the sake of those he loved. And I think that to every extent, this is the greatest form and exercise of love that has and will ever exist in the history of mankind. That God himself came unto this world incarnate. He came unto this world and he was slain for the sake of those he loved, mankind. That whomsoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. He saved us from the damnation that was awaiting us, the wrath of God that would have, would have ripped us apart. Oh, it was waiting. It was waiting like a lion, hungry lion. To tear us apart. But he comes in to play. He comes in the picture. And he changes the whole story. And he gives himself up. Jesus Christ lays himself. He had the power to say, at the cross, he had the power to say, no, I want all this being down. I want it gone. I don't want anyone here. I want all of you to disappear and history will never remember you ever existed. Don't you think he would, have, he would have done that? He did. He would have done that. If he was able to heal cripples and, and lepers and all that, he would have done that. But at the cross, he remembered the love he has for mankind. He remembers the love he has. And this love just kept him there until it was done. Because he loved such love. Such love. Such love pushed him to go to the extent that no one else could. And we are to love just as Christ loved. Because we are Christians. We are to love just as Christ loved. I don't know whether you understand the magnitude of what this is. It means that he was willing to lay down his life. I don't know whether we are willing to lay down our lives for others. 
Could we? Now imagine you and your sister. Forget about your, should I give you a personal experience? But before the personal experience, just to show you how, how much we need to emulate Christ and how fallen we are. Imagine you and your sister, or your brother if you have one, or your mother or your dad, or a relative, a close relative. And then you're passing Kabarabara, and then a car comes in a fly view. Would you run fast, or would you hold your sister's hand fast? What comes into mind? You are adrenaline. The adrenaline tells you, no, run, run. So you run. And then, just a, when you're just about to exit the road, then you remember my sister. Then you move back. That's the first instinct. Or there, there was a time I was somewhere um, in a shop. And we were with my brother. And then kulikuwa na generator, steam as it was in Mepotea. And then kulikuwa na generator hapo. And then there are customers buying and all that. And then we are in the shop and we are standing, we are talking. And then all of a sudden, the post just steam in Alipuka. And then I thought it's the generator in Alipuka. Yeah? So, where? See, everyone is, there were customers in, so everyone is running for their life. Eh? Even a mother who had a kid there forgot about the kid. So they're thinking, there is a bomb. Then there is a blackout. So you don't know what's happening. Because the whole place, you go under blackout. It's only the shop that has a generator. So, so, so you're all running. So I also, I was running. Then we are all crumbled at the door. And then when we are there, we are almost, what do you call it? We almost, um, we're, we're, we are running out of oxygen. What do you call that word? Suffocating, exactly. We're almost suffocating. <laughs> Then that's when mother starts remembering, oh my child. Then I hear mother shouting, Kai, Then they start running behind. And then I look at that and say, wow, interesting. So our first instinct is to seek out ourselves first, naturally. Seek out for ourselves first. But Christ laid down his life, his life, his own life for the sake of those he loved. And that is the kind of love that he's calling us to have. Sacrificial love. For there can be no sacrifice without love. Sacrificial love. I want you to think about it. Think about how many opportunities God, God has given you to show love. In this world full of wickedness, cruelty, Christians must afford love. There's a lot of love that is needed. There is a deficit of love in this world. A deficit of love. Let's be practical for a moment here. Because love must be practical. It's not merely philosophical. I know we like to be puffed up with knowledge of how we should love one another, right? Oh, love one another. As as love does another. Amazing. But unless that produces the actual act of showing love, then it's, it profits no one. Right? Think of it. How many people, how many people, how many opportunities have you had to give someone who is going hungry food and you just said, ah, do you know that there are comrades who go hungry for days? Yet you have so much to spare. You go to, to, um, what do you call it? Um, it's not at the city. It's, um, so actually, whatever city mall, Juja city mall, eh? 
or whatever. What do you call that that mall? Nakuanga pale kwa highway pale karibu na Roisambu hapa. Yes, you go to TRM, you go to the other places. Other places. What were Nairet? Your people from Nairobi, these things you should know. Yes? Garden City, exactly. Yes. So you have a lot to spare. You go out with your friends um, to Garden City. But actually, you don't know there are people who are going hungry. I'm not saying you shouldn't go. But when you have information that there are people who actually go hungry, don't blame them. Don't say they are not doing well, they are not doing enough or, or something. If you have an opportunity to do well, do well. If you have an opportunity to show love, show love. If you have an opportunity to actually practice love, then just practice it. There are people who lack rent. Students. Yeah, there are people who lack rent. And then they are locked out of their houses. Probably you are not aware. Maybe we should start a... Um, um, something, some, some platform where people come and drop their problems and we see how that should be sorted. But really, we, are, we have networks. You know someone is struggling in their fees. You have some money to spare. But you're so selfish, you can't let it go. You hold it to yourself. You have plans to buy a dress. You're not going to miss out on buying a nice dress to go to that, to that uh, birthday party of your friend or to shine to go to but you don't want to sacrifice. But there must be sacrifice. If at all we are to love like Christ. Because Christ sacrificed himself. He offered the greatest sacrifice that can ever exist. If this means going to an extent of even committing a budget a portion of our budget to help the needy families, the less fortunate, children. Committing a part of our budget. I know we are not working, but one day we will. Or some of us still already have income, or you, you are given some money on a, month, on a monthly basis by your parents. Commit. Start that discipline early. Commit a portion of your budget to help the needy people, the needy families. They can be children homes. They are see lazima kuna organized platforms or programs or anything. Just committing to do it in the sight of the Lord Himself and not the sight of man. How would I would urge us to show love. How many times have you been required to forgive or not required? How many opportunities have you had to forgive people? And you haven't forgiven. Because forgiving people is a sign of love. Did you know that? For how else would have Christ forgiven our sins if he didn't love us? How would he forgive us if he didn't love us? But we have had opportunities to forgive people who have wronged us. We have had opportunities to, to forgive our parents for mistakes they've done. We have had opportunities to forgive um, our partners we broke up with. We've had opportunities to forgive different people, friends, that hurt us in a way. But we have ignored those opportunities and we have kept on holding that against them. Yet Christ is calling us to love, to show love, and forgiveness is a sign of love. We must afford love as Christians. And I think love, as Christ would say, is the greatest of them all. If the word, if the people in this world love one another, we would not be having most of the challenges that we have. If the for example, the nations outside loved Africa. 
supposedly. They would not, they would not be exploiting us. You know they exploit us, huh? You don't know that. They do. But if there was to exist love between us, we would not, we would not be exploiting. We would not be exploiting each other. We would not be consumed by capitalism and all these things because they are exploitative. But we would show love to one another. And we would be caring to one another. So is Christ Christ likeness attainable? Is it attainable? Can we really do that? Have you ever asked yourself, can we do that? Can I be like Christ? It's, it's hard, it looks hard, but absolutely it is attainable. But the big question is how can you be like God who was incarnated? How can you be like God? A being that is half God, half man. Not really in the sense, fully God and fully man. Before you start stoning me here. Oh, Christ was half man. <laughs> someone who is fully God, how can you be someone? How can you be like that? Yes, it is attainable. I think of Jackie Chan myself. And I like Jackie Chan a lot. I like his movies. I watched his movies. I don't know whether people from Nairobi watched Jackie Chan movies. Because when I was young, the village. In the village in Akuru, somewhere, somewhere called Elbagon, um, Alfaga, in a better term. So we used to watch Jackie Chan in Afro movies. So Jackie Chan used to oh, make us, our minds blow up because he would move, and I liked it. He would move his arms and all that, do all these things. And he would, naturally, I came to discover that that was actually what he was doing. He does that, his mastery of karate. He does that. If you follow, if you follow through, you'll know that those are not just movies. It's actually something he can do. I mean, I like it, but I can't. Can I be Jackie Chan? I think on myself, I like him, but can I be? Oh, absolutely not. I don't think I can ever be unless the genius of Jackie Chan lives within me. Can you know, do to, you do kung fu and all that? I can't. Because even though I like him, I don't possess what it takes to to do all that. I seriously can't. So can we be like Christ? That is just uh, something to illuminate our minds. Can we be like Christ? Yes, but. Yes, but. Unless his spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we can't be. I know many people try to run. I was talking to some, some friend of mine, not really friend, someone I know. They were telling me, no, I don't go to church. I don't do bad things. I'm a good person. I do good things. I don't hurt anybody. I am just a nice, cool person. But is that what it means to be like Christ? No. Unless the Spirit of God, unless the Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we merely run after good works, but we will never be like Christ. Because it starts from the death of the old self, the former self sinful man. And that can only be done by Christ himself. And once that is done, the Holy Spirit, because we will assume a new personality, we will possess the Holy Spirit because he is a gift unto us. Then we can begin to be like Christ. Now, I would want us to look at the cost of Christianity, the cost of being like Christ-like. So to be like someone 
First of all, you must know them. Which, which is not a mere awareness. It's, 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 it's actually getting to know them. So for us to be like Christ, we must first strive to know him. We must begin to be consumed or we must be consumed by the desire to know him more and more. Because we cannot be like we cannot be like Christ if we don't know him. If he's alien to us, how then can we be like him? If you don't know Nelson Mandela, how can you be like Nelson Mandela? I am saying that because I know 90%, 99%, none of us have ever met Nelson Mandela. So how can we be like Nelson Mandela, really? We can't. So for Christ, unless we know him, unless we know him, then we cannot be like him. Unless we are born again first. And then unless we know him, unless we read the word and see how he behaved, learn from the scriptures who is Christ, get to know him more and more, then we'll never be nothing. We'll we'll not be anything like him. Because there's a part of human responsibility in striving to be like him. Being Being like Christ means emptying off ourselves, our former selves, gorging out sin from our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, resisting. All those who are like Christ have one thing in common. They have counted all, they have counted it all, those things that people pride in. Because you cannot be like Christ if you still hold dear to something else. Praise the Lord. Can you? If you still have in your heart, you you are occupied in your heart, you are consumed by some other things. You have a preoccupation of other evil things. Then we cannot be like Christ. We have to count it all loss first. We have to give it up. We have to let it go. We have to loosen up. Only then can we be like Christ. We have to gorge out sin. And some of these things are really painful. They are painful. Some sins that our bodies love a lot. But you have to gorge them out. Because they then begin to be things that are um, blinding us. And they are hardening our hearts. From being sensitive to the Lord. And I, as I conclude, I want to urge that being Christian simply means being right, being like Christ. Being like Christ. Let's see Peter and John in the book of Acts chapter 4 and verses 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I'm going to read that again. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they, had, they must have been with Jesus. So the disciples Peter and John. Are somewhere preaching. And they are confronted by this high priest. They are confronted by the Pharisees. In Acts 4. <coughs> and they boldly proceed to preach. They boldly lay a case. And they 
defend it with the boldness of the Holy Spirit. And then these Pharisees look at them and something hints, something clicks in their mind. Oh, where did I see this behavior? Then they remember, it was Christ. Praise the name of the Lord. They looked at Peter and John and they were astonished. These are common men. These are men who are not educated. These are men, mere men. They're not even priests. They don't wear linen. They don't have fine clothes. They're not educated. If you ask them about the law, oh, they, they will struggle. But there is a certain thing with them. There is something interesting. And they begin to ask themselves, what could it be? And then these guys must have been with Christ. What a wonderful thing to be told. What a wonderful thing to be told. The way they were behaving. They possessed the irrefutable behavior of Christ. They behaved like Christ. I want to ask us, are there traces, traces of Christ-likeness in our lives? Can our friends see us and say, Kabucho knows Christ. Kabucho has had a relationship. He has a relationship with Christ. Are there traces of Christ-likeness in our lives? Or are we merely Christians by name? Because if all Christians were actually to be Christians, then this word would be, this word would be, would be, we'd be doing, we, we, we would be something else. People would be following Christ. A professor in India who identified his student as a Christian told him that, oh, told him that if all Christians were to behave like Christ, then India would be on their knees the next day. Yes, because to be Christian is not merely to be someone who is, that is not just something that you feel in the forms. What is your, what is your religion? I am a Christian. No, it goes deeper than that. It goes deeper to mean that if we are to be Christians, then we have to be Christians. We have to be like Christ. We have to be like Christ. We have to emulate him in the things that are mentioned. And why do we need to be, to be so? Because there can never be a better evangelistic strategy than being Christ-like. There couldn't have been a better strategy for the disciples than for people to see the Christ in them and run after that Christ. Because when they now give their speech, they have authenticity, right? There is integrity. They are authentic because they are living their lives as they, they speak of, as they instruct others, as they preach. That is the very life that they live. There isn't a distinction between what they speak and what they live. And that is the best strategy that can ever work in this world. An evangelistic strategy. We are an evangelistic team. If Nairet be preaching and people come to Christ, then the best strategy is to be a Christian. Is to be Christ-like. Because then, when we begin to talk about him to those friends, they know this one actually lives, as he says. And this one has Christ in them, they must be having a relationship with Christ. It would be sad that 
We were to preach to our classmates. Think of your classmates. Just think of your classmates. How would they respond if you went to preach to them? Would they laugh? Because they want to know what? You preach to God? You preach to God? What would they say? Are we Christ-like? If you went to preach to your friends who are not within the union, who, who don't know you, who, who don't know you in this context, what would they say? Would they look at you and laugh? Or would they say, preach, brother, keep telling me, tell me, tell me more. And they, would they desire the life that you live? Would they desire? How I pray that we would be found faithful in that. Finally, let us remember this. The prayer is core to cultivating Christ-likeness. Because prayer, prayer creates, it creates intimacy with God. If you stay for long times, long periods without prayer, you will know, you, 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 will, you will know it. It creates, a, prayer creates an atmosphere that does not that does not entertain sin. If you are fasting somewhere and then um, there are temptations all around, there, there, is a certain, there is a certain atmosphere or just something within you which is the, Holy, the work of the Holy Spirit actually. That just is no, I don't need this. So we need to keep praying. Because it is the only way we can cultivate Christ-likeness. As we read the word of God to get to know more about Christ and how he lived on this word so that we may do the same, we must also remember that we are called to pray and pray that the Lord may guide us. All guide us, O great Jehovah. Guide us. We must pray that the Holy Spirit will help us be firm in our confession in this modern world of doubt and religious confusion. There's a lot of religious confusion. You don't even know. Um, it's hard to know who, which people are Christians and which ones are not. But if we were to, if we are to go by the standards of the word, the word of God, then we definitely know who, who they are. And we must pray that in this world of confusion, religious confusion, the Lord will guide us and that he will help us and that he will confirm us daily to be like him so that we may glow to the rest of the world, making it desire the Lord and be drawn to him and that God may find us obedient in this. It's not all about evangelism also. We are not doing these things for the sake of evangelism. We are also doing them because we've been commanded to and we must be obedient to the word of God. We must become obedient to the command of the Almighty God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, I would invite us to say a prayer to the Lord, that the Lord may guide us, that the Lord may strengthen us, that the Lord God Almighty may yet transform us daily, conforming us to his, himself and, his, and, and to be like he is and as he wishes. I would invite you to just say a prayer before the Lord. You know your heart, you know 
the things you struggled with, you know, in what areas you have not, in what areas you've not emulated Christ. Just tell the Lord to help you. Now, everlasting God, King of glory and honor, we are before you this evening. We are grateful, Lord, for this time that you've granted to us, O oh Lord, to share and partake of your word. And you've talked to us through your word, you've talked to us, O oh Lord. And we have heard you, and we want to respond by praying, Lord, that you may grant us your Holy Spirit to enable us to be conformed to uh, thyself, O oh Lord. Give us your grace, Almighty Father, that we may be transformed daily, that we may be renewed, that our minds may be renewed daily, that we may be like you, that we may emulate you in every way, that we may strive every single day to fight this, to fight in this race, to resist sin and pursue you alone, that we may not be preoccupied by any other thing apart from thee, O oh Lord, because Knowing you and knowing you alone, there, is, there can't be any greater thing, O oh Lord. We pray that you may enable us. We pray that you may help us as friends to each other, as a community. That you may charge one another towards godliness. That we may charge one another every single day to being like Christ in every single moment, in every single way. That we may ask ourselves in every instance, how can we be like you, Lord? Grant to us, O oh Lord, that we may be able to love others more than we love ourselves. That we may not be selfish, self-seeking. Lord, grant to us, O oh Lord, that we may be like you in your mission. That we may be found faithful in evangelism. In humility and service, O oh Lord. In forgiveness. And in all that you have taught us to be. In the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you and we honor you. We bless you for Nairet. May this fellowship be a light unto the world, a light unto the many, unto many, a light unto the school, and may many come unto you, O Lord, because of how these live their lives. We thank you, Almighty God, and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much, brethren. I am glad, I'm delighted. God bless you. Asante Nisano.